One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to Your Booked. I'm Daisy Buchanan, your friendly neighbourhood book inspector, and I'm here to investigate some of our favourite writers and readers, the spine-chilling crimes against literature, or rather, spine-bending crimes against literature. I want to find out about the classics they claim to have read when they only watch the movie, the unpaid library vines they've stacked up, and the scandalous stories they like to read when they don't think anyone is watching. My guest this week is the writer and broadcaster and my friend, Dolly Alderton. Many people are familiar with Dolly from her Sunday Times dating column, where she shared a page with the writer Cosmo Landisman and talked about the vagaries of looking for love and being a romantic in a Tinder era and dealing with London's dating scene. Dolly's Sunday Times bestseller, Everything I Know About Love, has been hugely successful and it's touched readers everywhere. It's an incredibly warm, funny and often heartbreaking book about love and loss and friendship. Dolly is able to write about comedy and tragedy with great verve. This episode was recorded at Dolly's fabulous North London flat, where she showed us that not only does she have a very interesting taste in books, she has a great collection of soft furnishings. We talked about the joy of sex, the joy of giving books as presents, and Rod Stewart, where he likes to put his hands, and why you need to be very careful about your trousers when he's around. Dolly, can you tell me about the first book you read that you knew you really weren't supposed to be reading? The Joy of Sex. Oh, wow! Yeah. yeah. And I think that The Joy of Sex is the reason why I like men with such big beards <laughs> who look like they're straight out of a 70s porn film. That's like my type is 70s porn star. And I think it must have been because the first understanding of my own sexuality and male sexuality was reading that book. And I was incredibly young, so that must have left an imprint on my brain. So where did you get it? Did your parents have it? My mum had it, yeah. My mum's vibe is very the joy of sex. God love her. Uh, did you have it, was it under her bed? Did you have to wait till she was out and sneak no, it? No, I remember, I've never actually talked to her about this. I remember seeing it on, at the top of her bookshelf. And I remember waiting until, I would get really excited if she ever left their house because I would climb up and, and go find it and then 
pour through it and it was illustrations and then I found there were there were actual photos as well that were sort of <laughs> close up anatomy. So was there penetration in Yeah, sex? yeah there was. And it was um I was completely fascinated by it. I think I had that thing that... I would have been really young when I read it. And I think I had that thing that I definitely knew I shouldn't have been reading it. I felt very shameful and embarrassed that I was reading it. So do you know how old you were, roughly? Were you at school? About eight or nine, yeah. And, And then I remember feeling... I think most people I know had this feeling when they first started reading about the kind of machinations of the physical side of sex, that I felt really excited and intrigued and and exhilarated and incredibly scared as well it felt it felt very grown up and kind of grotesque but I just could and I carried on sort of going and dipping into it and reading the whole thing up until I was probably about 14. (laughs) (laughs) Other than the very um here's men are there any bits of prose or text that you remember is there anything that came up in the joy of sex where you thought, thought like oh I'll be prepared for that when that happens in adult life and you're still waiting for it to emerge I remembered I mean pubic hair is just so much a part of the joy of sex and I remember reading about pubic hair and smells um and it's very 70s obviously the way that it's written um so I remember I remember learning in it that everyone has their own scent and that's completely normal I mean to be honest it's a very like sex positive book to be read. it's like you know it's all about connection and intimacy so I'm pre- maybe my mum left it out for me to read sort of so she didn't have to do the, the job <laughs> because it's better I mean I would so prefer a kid to learn about sex through like her suit seven you know people from the 70s like making love in a very like tender and honest way and long passages about how it's totally normal for everyone's genitals and pubic hair and smells to be completely different rather than watching you know you porn um but the other one that i remember reading which i'm sure every single millennial woman will say this who's a guest on this podcast was forever by judy bloom uh did you read that yeah did you read was that when Ralph? you were young? Yeah. Ralph was the name of his penis, yeah. I did. Well, I remember re- knowing about it and hearing, you know, the legend of Forever and reading all of the Judy Bloom first because I could never find it in the library. And I was too embarrassed to ask. Yeah. It's always out. And I thought, as soon as I went out. up and said, have you got Forever? It was tantamount to going and saying, hello, I'm a pervert. What have you got for me? <laughs> yeah, and it's... Uh, because I remember that uh, pre-Judy Bloom, pre-Forever, I remember the Judy Bloom books being really quite tame. So I don't. I think it was dog-eared and it was passed around our year. But I remember a line in that so clearly. The, the parlance I would have used at the time I would have read it would have been she was being a bit frigid. And she, I remember it said she wasn't having sex with him, but she was doing sort of the everything but sex and she was they were kind of discovering each other and she said she put on a pair of bikini bottoms and they got into bed and he rubbed Ralph up against her bikini bottoms and she said it felt really hot and really nice and um yeah it really stuck with me I think because it's shameless as in she didn't feel shameful Mm. about it which you know children when they're discovering their sexuality and teenagers when they're discovering their sexuality feels such a weight of embarrassment and, and perversion around it I think to have read that so boldly that this thing happened and it felt nice, I think felt quite radical for me as a kind of 12 or 13 year old. What was the last sexy book you read? I found I Love Dick pretty hot. Ah, excellent, because I saw that on your shelf. Yeah. And I was going to do a sort of schlocky, 
Do you love dick, Dolly Alderson? <laughs> I, the reason I found that so sexy, I think, is because it's kind of grotesque. It's a book, uh, it's written by Chris Krause, who's an artist, and it's like an epistolary, I never know how to say that word, epistolary, epistolary. Uh, I think book. you did it. Just fine. <laughs> of uh, her writing these um, letters to a man who she forms this obsessive attachment to, and it's kind of a game that her husband gets in on. And... Um, she's just burning up with desire for him. And I don't know why I found it such a turn on reading it. I think it's because her her sexuality in it is so uncensored and unguarded. It's kind of, yeah, grotesque and it's extreme and it's obsessive and it's um, graphic and uh, quite claustrophobic. And I think that turned me on because it's, um, you just don't really see female sexuality uninterrupted in that way. I just think that kind of grittiness of sexual desire, of a woman's sexuality being kind of animalistic and unboundaried, mm. I just didn't realise until I read that book that you just don't really, you don't really hear women talking about their sexuality in that way. On the subject of sexy hunting women and literature <laughs> and appetite, I want to ask you about a book I have just seen on your dining table. Women Who Read Are Dangerous, um, edited by, or well, the forwards by Karen Joy Fowler. Um, I don't know, is it, um, tell me about this book. So I literally, my mum sent this to me two days ago, God love her, and she's written in the front, to my favourite dangerous woman with love mum. My mum's a real bookworm, and she had the French version of this book, which, I mean, I can't guess. Les Femmes. Femmes. Dangereux. 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 Um, there we go, tell boy. Um, I would like to apologise to <laughs> the French. <laughs> so yeah, that's how she found out the book, and it's basically um, it's uh, paintings of women reading, um, and kind of analysis of um, women images of women reading in um, history and in art and popular culture and kind of analysis on it. I, I mean, I've literally just got a couple of days ago, so I cannot wait um, to get stuck into it. There's something about the... Absor- well, there's something hot about watching anyone read, I think. You know, there's something about watching someone be that absorbed in a world that I think is very um, beguiling. It's so solitary and so intimate. And when you see someone reading in public... It really does feel like you're walking in on them. Totally, yeah. Would you ever admit to reading a book in a public place in the hope that somebody would walk by and think, oh, it's really hot that she's reading that clever book? Yeah, 100%. I used to do that with The New Yorker. Ah. So I'd always, like everyone who has subscribed to The New Yorker, I never read it. tyranny of it the tyranny of it but apparently there's David Mamet I was listening to him on WTF the other day and um, he's so funny and he was talking about the New Yorker and he's like people say they love the, the poetry pages of the New Yorker and I've never met someone who can say one line from a poem <laughs> that they've read in the poetry pages of the New Yorker and actually David Remnick said the tyranny of the New Yorker thing the pressure to read all of the New Yorker from cover to cover is totally self-imposed and he's like I'd, I'd never as the editor expect anyone to read the New Yorker oh, from cover and cover they should it is madness and they should uh, but there is this weird pressure of it which means you don't read any of it I'm going to head over to my first shelf oh the story of O that's a sexy book ah that is a sexy book a very spanky book that's a spanky book and that was um, given to me by a boy who I wrote about in my book called Hector uh, in my memoir I wrote about him and he's uh, he 
said, <laughs> I don't know how I can phrase this without getting too x-rated. There were things detailed in this book that he would like me to know about. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel very, it's weird. There's something so, um, it's not, it's like quite an intimate act, isn't it? When you give someone a book, it's the same as when you, give someone a piece of music because what you know is that that your face in yourself is going to hang in their head as they listen to that song so it's quite a manipulative thing to do i think and giving me the story of O, which is a story of uh someone discovering snm <laughs> what is the best book you've ever given and the best book you've ever received you know there are certain books that i give now almost like emotional uh prescription that I know you do the same. So there's there's a book called um, here. Shall I remove my plants? I've got these long hanging plants, which isn't conducive to this podcast. Those are my books. See, I was really hoping that you had the um, all the Mills and Boone were hidden behind the plants. <laughs> no, Not, you know. Uh, there's well, a, Mills and Boone is great. No judgment. <laughs> there's a book somewhere up there called um, Good Girls Do Swallow. Good Girls Do Swallow. I think. It's the only book I can say probably saved my life. And that was given to me by Alex, my friend Alex. And she, uh, I was having, I had had massive uh, problems with body image and with eating for about two years. And she gave it to me. It's by an Australian writer called uh, Rachel Oakes Ash. And um, it's about her journey with bulimia and anorexia and recovery. And it so it, it, I mean, I'd been on a kind of journey of recovery until I read that book. It, it didn't really, you know, save my life. That's me being dramatic. But it definitely was on the last page. I remember putting it down and thinking, OK, I'm going to start a kind of different existence from tomorrow. So I, anyone here I know who's struggling with um, body stuff, I'll send them that, uh, which is sadly... <laughs> A lot of women I know and love. So that's a book that I give out a lot. The same with Reasons to Stay Alive by Matt Haig. Um, that's a book, here it is. That's a book about um, his uh, struggles with anxiety and depression. And um, oh my God, that's so funny. I've written here August 2015 in the front. Darling. <laughs> so I obviously was going to give this to someone who needed it in August 2015 and then decided fuck it I want to keep it for myself <laughs> uh, so darling Dolly maybe it's a note to you maybe, maybe that's the sort of fey whimsical thing that I would do um, but yeah anyone struggling with depression or anxiety I always give them that book and um, oh another one is is uh, Delight Yes, we must talk about Delight because um, I'm sure listeners would be very familiar with Dolly Mail, your enormously successful newsletter, and that there was a Dolly Mail dedicated to Delight by J.B. Priestley. Can you tell us about that book mm. and what it is? It's, so he wrote it after the Second World War uh, in a time where, understandably... Here it is. In a time where, understandably... Um, People were feeling a bit gloomy, so I think he, he bummer. <laughs> or... <laughs> um, I think he he wrote it to kind of cheer national spirits, and it's um, just the oh my god, this is another awful thing that I do. So when I live with girls, which was about five years, I'm so okay with people taking and sharing everything. I honestly would never get upset if someone ruined a dress of mine, if they broke the heels in my shoes, if they used the last bit of my Charlotte Tilbury moisturiser. I don't care. I am 
fucking psycho about people taking my books. So in the front of every single book, I wrote my initials <laughs> like an assassin. So, Who does that? That's so, so what weird. We're seeing, this is your version of like putting your name on each egg in the fridge. <laughs> I don't know why. Do you know why? I know why I'm like this. Because if you look at uh, the pages of this book, I, I steal other people's ideas a lot for my writing and I quote other writers a lot in my writing. So as um, the official book inspector, I want to step in and talk about <laughs> how much Dolly Hannah Alderton has damaged this book. All of the pages are folded I've, down. But do you know what? I have, if you look at any of these books that I love, it's, every, it's constant folded pages and it's because I often will go back to the book and and think of that page that I remembered that that we hold with us and use it shamelessly for a piece or for a story or whatever. Um, so I think because I do that with books, it means that I have these like quite weird relationships with the, with the hard copy itself. So I don't like the idea of people taking them because for me there's been like a very definite like footprint in there of my own. So I don't like people... It's Take a bit it. like they're sort of taking, you know, volume M to O of your encyclopedias. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, but yeah, no, Delight is 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 beautiful and it's just him kind of pontificating and contemplating the incidental small things of life that brings him delight and joy. Let me find a nice extract. I know my favourite in Delight is Cozy Planning where he extols the oh, virtues yeah. of getting a gang together and just saying oh won't it be lovely when we do this and I always think about that when I'm having a dinner party because what were your own delights I know you've written about them yes was, was cigarettes one of them <laughs> I, I can't remember so I read this book by JB Priest and I was so uh moved by it and I love the idea of it so much it's just so charming and um that's my favourite kind of writing, actually, I've realised more and more. And that's my favourite. And this is why I'm such an unbelievably shit and uncommissionable journalist. Is that my favourite Anyone listening would agree with that. <laughs> but my favourite thing to write about, you know, I pitched a piece to the New Statesman today being like, the joy of blossom. <laughs> Surprisingly, they didn't go for it. But I think my favourite, this is why I love Indianite as a writer so much, um, is that kind of journalism which is taking the the quotidian and elevating it in this kind of forensic detailed academic way of why why do I love that why does it make me so happy in a celebration so after I read this book I went and found that there was a another brilliant collection that was an updated version called Modern Delight which is really hard to find actually you can buy it second hand on um, Amazon and it's people like it's the great and the good of um, you know British media it's uh, Nick Hornby and Jeremy Paxman Stephen Fry Bill Nye Michael Palin in tonight. Oh, we have to find out what Jeremy Paxman's delight is. I'm looking <laughs> to hear this. It's shouting, <laughs> correcting people. And they all write about something that brings them delight. I actually know something that brings Jeremy Paxman delight because I was sat next to him at a lunch the other uh, couple of months ago. Ooh. And uh, it was for the Sotheby's... I mean, this is a shamelessly name-droppy story, but it's so good, I have to say it. It was the Sotheby's erotica sale lunch. Wow! Yeah, we got quite drunk at lunch, and then we wandered around looking at everything, and he was absolutely appalled that there was no pubic hair. Ah! So I wonder everything if... Everything comes back to pubic hair. The yeah. joy of sex probably exactly. being Jeremy Pax's Was delight. his essay on the joy of pubic hair? What was it on? Sadly not. It's on Frogsport. <laughs> 
his pubic hair. <laughs> what does he say about Frogspawn? The first inkling usually comes in February or March when you suddenly notice the generally stagnant surface of the pond has started to explode in a welter of bubbles. I suspect he enjoys writing about Frogspawn more than the Frogspawn. Yes, I imagine so. Oh, here we go. This is probably, I think, family silliness, domestic clowning. Ah, how lovely. Do you want to read a bit from it? Yeah. Family silly... Sorry. So this is J.B. Priestley's book, Delight, which inspired Modern Delight, and it's his... um, It contains no frogspawn, to the best of our knowledge. So this is every chapter is a chapter of something that brings him joy. Family silliness, domestic clowning. This cannot be described in any detail, and it would be disastrous to quote even the best of the jokes. A fairly large family is necessary, but nobody concerned need have any great sense of humour. You start with any bit of nonsense, usually at the dining table, and then everybody adds shaggy pieces of their own until the whole table is roaring and screaming and the scarlet cheeks of the younger children are wet with tears of laughter. To a sensitive outsider, the scene would probably bring no delight at all, and indeed would probably seem repulsive. But then it is not meant for outsiders, sensitive or otherwise. You have to be thoroughly in it and of it to appreciate its quality. Somewhere below this rowdy monkey business are deep hidden roots, and somewhere above it are invisible blossoms. My God, that's the most beautiful line. A collective personality springs into being sometime during the slapstick. Without a happy togetherness, the little farce would never begin. And it is scenes like these, without dignity, real wit or beauty, made up of screeching and bellowing and fourth-rate jokes about treacle puddings or castor oil, that a man who feels his life ebbing out may recall with an anguish of regret and tenderness, remembering as if it were a lost bright kingdom, the family all at home and being silly. Isn't that oh, perfect? That last bit just wins you, I doesn't know. it? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's astonishing. And it I'm, really to give me I'm overcome, so I need to bring it back with <laughs> oh, some more silliness. Um, Dolly, I have in my hand. I know this Rod is Stewart's autobiography. This is my most incriminating. This looks like the most red of all your books. <laughs> okay, yeah. this is one of my favourite books of all time, and I know people will think I'm being silly when I say, "Look how many turned over pages I have here." There's a brilliant. brilliant Are you sure this isn't the last sexy book you read? (laughs) Do you know what? I think I've read this about five times. It's such. I know this. I'm a massive Rod Stewart fan. The Faces is one of my favourite bands. So I know that I have like a bit of a a personal and emotional and perhaps sexual investment in this in a way that most normal human beings wouldn't. But um, it really is an amazing rock memoir. I think it's the best rock memoir I've ever read, actually. And he's a sort of delicious mix of incredibly self-aware actually and and very eager to laugh at himself as well as being astonishingly boastful and um, <laughs> incredibly egotistical so it's like a one it's just like the most compulsive thing um to jump in i do the only rod stewart book i know is from um sherry curry curie from the runaways in her autobiography she writes about meeting rod stewart at a party and i think she must have been about 17 and she offers him cocaine and he is tearfully grateful and says, no one ever offers me everybody always just takes mine which is why he's such a tight bastard understandably poor rod <laughs> there's just one bit that i'd love to read you that is him talking about putting his hands down a girl's pants Oh, so we've progressed from forever and the <laughs> Ralph bikini rubbing going in. God, did I? It's... Check the index. 
That's oh, a good that's idea. <laughs> I don't think it'll have hands down. Gold Do you know, pants. I can't. I can't find the paragraph, but there's this wonderful bit where he's talking about his um, his childhood, and he's a North London boy as well, which is probably another reason why I love him. And he grew up in um, kind of the archway end of Highgate, above a sweet shop, in a very very modest little flat with his family. His dad owned the sweet shop, and he said when he was a teenager. He used to meet girls normally down on Eel Pie Island and then he would take them back through East Finchley. So he'd walk through the super posh end of Highgate through Bishop's Road, which is like Millionaire's mm. Row. And um, he said he would stand outside the most enormous house and he would say, I would love to invite you in, but, you know, dad's got the diplomat of whatever to stay tonight so it probably shouldn't but next time we'd love to and he describes an incident and then he, he describes an incident where he um he he kissed a girl and he immediately in one of these moments in the kind of midnight in the in the darkness of bishop's road and he put his hands down her pants and she said tits first please <laughs> and I think he had a bit of a fumble and then he put his hand down her pants and then he said he I mean this is why I love him he's so disgusting he said he then walked back to Archway to the sweet shop he uh, lived above and he didn't wash his hands for a fortnight <laughs> <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. We'll be back to the books in a bit. But I'd like to talk about my steal of the week, a book so brilliant that it's worth its weight in diamonds, and buying it for the cover price is a bit like breaking the law. This week's steal of the week is My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Atessa Moshveg. This was published by Vintage a few years ago, and I'd heard a lot about this book and I was really excited about reading it because the heroine is living my ultimate fantasy life where she drugs herself and hibernates for a year and makes a project out of it with the purpose of escaping the 
trivial and annoying parts of her life and waking up reborn. I think it's because really polarised people, a lot of people find the heroine who is never named quite tricky in her privilege and her whininess, but it's really, really darkly funny. It's a really great social satire. Moshveg is very, very sharp on, I think, women in their 20s at their best and worst, and also the people they date and the lives they live. So that's My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Atessa Moshveg, published by Vintage and available everywhere now. Now, back to the interrogation room for some more shocking literary misdemeanours. How do you feel about taking this into the bedroom? These are a selection. So the bedroom is a selection of kind of my favourite books that I that I refer to a lot, including How to Improve Your Man in Bed by Lynn Barber, um, and books that I'm kind of desperate to read as well. So I wanted to ask you about the the Woody Allen book because that's a tricky area. So obviously we're in dangerous territory talking about this. I think it's I think it's okay to still love this book and 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 be very aware with my eyes open that Woody Allen is is probably an abuser. I, I think you know when you read something like this. This book was written when in the sixties sometime. But I think I think a lot of people have this with Woody Allen's books and films, especially those early ones, that it kind of formed a lot of who I was. I think and how I thought about men and women, and certainly a lot about my sense of humour. So for that to be sort of cast in the fire alongside Woody Allen's reputation, which Woody Allen's reputation should be, I think you can keep the books and the, and the art out of the fire, you know, and see them as separate entities. And then I listened to Lena Dunham on the WTF podcast with Mark Maron. And she said this thing that I think is very true. Her parents are artists and her parents do incredibly graphic sexual art. And she said... I've had to grow up in a world where I'm taught that um, obviously art is like an extension of your consciousness, but, but it, it is an evidence of your morality. And I have to say, I agree with that. And I hadn't thought of it like that, but she said what we should be taking seriously and what we should be, what should be making us feel disturbed are the allegations of the abused. What we shouldn't be doing is going back through the work he created and combing through to try and find evidence through characters or dialogue or plot that he was a bad man. And I I sort of agree with her. And look, it is a really complicated thing. It's something I've had to think about a lot, as Dale knows, because I've already bored him senseless when I came around to your house for dinner once. I'm a, my favourite musician is John Martin. And one of the most difficult things about about loving John Martin has been confronting the fact that he was a horrible horrible man and I went on such a journey to try and find out who he was and I was so desperate to have evidence that he wasn't people who knew him kept saying to me he was a wife beater he was you know abused to his family he was and it got to a point where my writing partner and I Lauren love him so much we went to this weird tribute festival in the Yorkshire Dales a couple of years ago and had this whole weekend with his friends and family and it was a really disturbing and sad time because we were given concrete evidence that this person whose music has been so tender and taught us so much about love and intimacy was definitely a bad person. And I think, you know, I talk about this a lot, but but 
bad person really is the wrong word because bad people and good people don't exist. I think it, it's like makes us feel so much safer and so yeah. much more in control of the world if we're like, okay, Woody Allen is a bad man, John Marston is a bad man, they abuse young women, uh, they hit their wives, or, you know, Woody Allen didn't, but John Marston allegedly did. Therefore, their work is defunct, none of it means anything, all the emotion is fake, they haven't felt anything, they're psychopaths, they don't know how to connect to other humans. The truth is, like, we've all met people who feel incredibly deeply and who are exceptional, um, exceptionally big-hearted and who um, can really plummet to the depths of, of human and emotional experience and uh, 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 empathises in their own way, who also treat people really badly because humans are really complicated, morality is really complicated, as is the suffering that makes us and the suffering we inflict. So this is a long way of me being like, <laughs> don't have a go at me about having bloody without feathers on the shelf. <laughs> Um, let's think of something more cheerful. <laughs> than the now, I really want to ask you about, um, firstly, as the book inspector, you have diaries by your bed and they're not even your diaries. Dolly, I'm horrified. They are Tina Brown's diaries. And yes. She, um, did submit them for publication. Um, and Tina Brown was your guest on your podcast, The High Low. Yes, she was. What was that experience like? Was she as you expected? Yeah, she was amazing. She's. Uh, have you read the Tina Brown Diaries? I've not. I have them. Oh, you've not read them yet. I got them for it. Christmas, which um, <laughs> Christmas twenty seventeen. Whenever this goes out, we'll know that was some time ago. <laughs> it will swallow you up, though. It will totally swallow you up for about three days. And actually, it's um, the tone of it has. I don't know if you find this, but whatever I'm reading at the time, I find myself regurgitating tonally in my writing. Mm. So it's the same with I've noticed whatever man I'm in love with, I'll only fancy men that look like that guy. So like when I was with a guy who was like beardy and shorter than me and a bit chubby, everywhere I went, I suddenly started forming these crushes on that man. I do exactly the same with books. When I'm in a relationship with a book, I feel the tone of that writer kind of slipping into everything that I write. And Tina Brown has such a like strong tone in this book it's kind of like very magazine-y the way that she writes it these diary entries and it, every 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 um uh, entry kind of begins with wowzer <laughs> big day in the office and it's like name dropping a few people trump said this blah 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 um then it mentions a uh party that she went to and always a seating plan of who she sat next to and then she'll reference the go-go 80s or the new 90s. And then the last question is always with a kind of heavy-handed jeopardy. But will it be a cover? <laughs> and Helen Nianius, who's a journalist who also read it very quickly, said that she started having the thoughts in the voice of Tina Brown's diary entries because the tone was so warped and so strong. <laughs> and she now will sometimes just send me messages saying, I've taken on some young Turks who can really spin a yarn about the go-go 80s. <laughs> But will it? But will it be a cover? So yeah, you'll find yourself slipping into that. Please, can amazing. we form a band called the Go Go Eighties and only do covers? <laughs> that's a great idea. But yeah, that's a, it's a really, really it's a compulsive book. If you work in magazines as well, I mean, it's particularly compulsive. So you will love it, Daisy. How do you feel about as a writer and having? A voice, and I think that most people will agree. You know, they know they know that it's you. You mm. can read a Dolly paragraph, and you don't have to have oh. your byline. You know, you're like Beyonce. You know, <laughs> you know that's well, you. Love you, and you're at the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you like feeling, you know, a bit like a sort of a, a chameleon or, you know, a, a writer that is a reader, that there is a bit of you that is the sum of everything you've read and everything you've been? Or do you find it really hard when Tina Brown's voice <laughs> turns up? Do you know I'm what? writing it about Blossom, <laughs> Tina Brown. <laughs> go, 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 Blossom. <laughs> Do you know what? It's, it, it doesn't worry me at all. I feel grateful for it. I've always felt Katna Moran put it so perfectly, didn't she, that everyone's a patchwork of their own references. And I've always, I've always loved that, that idea that all these different albums and writers and friends and articles and films all kind of like osmosis get into the kind of seabed of my consciousness and then I kind of permeate it through my writing. It doesn't, I really love, I love that. I'm, I know I'm definitely made up of lots of different people who've influenced me. I tell you what, though, it does panic me because there have been times, I'm so quick to absorb um, things that people have said that I, there have been moments in my life where I, I very nearly rewrote a Derek Walcott poem in, <laughs> in, in my book. Which is awful. But there have been moments where I've read articles that I've written in retrospect and I've been like, oh no, you've literally just copied something from a Bill Bryson book. And I have no idea at the time. And that's the writer's biggest fear, isn't it? Is inauthenticity or or stealing other people's work and not crediting them. And I'm sure I have done it without realising. And I remember going back through one of my drafts of Everything I Know About Love and thinking, God, that is beautiful. The kind of the, the pace of that. And it almost reads like poetry. Maybe it is poetry. Oh, hang on. <laughs> and I realised it was, I just lifted a line from a Derek Walcott poem. And I had somehow convinced myself that it was my own. Thank God I realised it. So no, it panics me rather than anything. I, I'm really conscious. If I ever write anything that I think is really good, I really sit and make sure that it's not because I haven't stolen it from someone and that's why it's good and normally I have stolen it from someone. Do you write a particular place? Do you feel like you have to kind of have a certain setting? Or do you as a journalist, write wherever you can in a state of panic, as I do. <laughs> well, you're amazing. I remember you and I sitting once in in a Shoreditch house and it was so loud. And oh God, people are going to hate us. Can we take that bit out? <laughs> I remember us sitting in a cafe in Shoreditch <laughs> once and uh, it was so loud. Crystal Palace. <laughs> and uh, down in Penge. And you um, wrote the most exquisite piece for me about making your own luck for the Dolly Mail. And he wrote it in about 45 minutes. And I remember watching, it was like a magician. Because for me, I have to have total silence. I'm a massive procrastinator. Um, I normally write best on the sofa, um, which I know isn't good. It should probably be at the table, but I normally write best at the sofa. But I, um, I've i only realised recently when I talk to people that the way I write stuff is quite weird. So I have never, ever in my life ever written anything chronologically. Um, what happens normally be it for a piece or a chapter or actually with scripts I write scripts more chronologically but that's more because of the format and the layout of it it's kind of you can't it's easier to rather than jumping around but with articles certainly and with chapters of my book I'll always start with something really I mean it's a very childish way to write I'll start with something really juicy so it's normally um, the top line that I pitched to someone so it's either the best joke in it the best scene in it or story in it or the best revelation or epiphany in it and I'll write that first 
and then normally I write the ending, so that's normally about in the middle, then normally I write the endings are really important to me, so I'll write the ending always before the beginning. I normally write the beginning last, actually, and then I, I will write always write like a collage with these kind of random separate paragraphs, and then the most boring bit of writing for me is normally the last hour, which is when I will bring it together as some sort of cohesive thing. But I've never written anything chronologically. It's quite a stressful way to write, actually. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I do it. I can't do it any other way. Um, if there was any book um, in the building that you could cross out the name of the author and write by Dolly Alderton on it, oh, what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Probably at the moment, the one that I'm reading, which is on my bedside shelf. Sorry to shimmy you around. Um, I... I'm so, so ah. moved by this. It's To Throw Away Unopened by Viv Albertine. So you would have had to have been in the slits. I would have had to have been in the slits. I would have had to have a much more interesting and dramatic and traumatic life, which I would not fetishise because it doesn't sound like it's been easy for Viv Albertine. But um, I think Viv Albertine on um, patriarchal conditioning and feminism... I think she might be my favourite writer in the world on those subjects. And uh, she writes in such an unselfconscious way and she's such a brave writer. There's a line in um, her first memoir called uh, Close, 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 Music, 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 Boys, 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 um, that I always use now, um, and credit her, um, because I think it's such a good way of understanding internalised misogyny, where she said, the patriarchy is an army that has outposts in your head. Ooh, Doesn't that just sum it that up perfectly? Absolutely, is it? I think about that a lot. Yeah, yeah. She, I just, I love her. I love her writing so much. And look, I've already got lots of turned down pages uh, in there. Yeah. Would you write another memoir? I no, I don't think I would, um, because I've simply just used up all my stories. I think. Um, I don't know. Maybe in the future I would. I think I'm I mean, not next year. <laughs> yeah, maybe way off in the future I would. I love the idea of being like a Diana Athill and just writing sort of memoir after memoir after memoir. Um, but I think, as you well know, uh, having written a memoir, I think at the moment you feel so... Uh, and this I don't want this to sound like martyry or sacrificial or like, you know, people were all banging down my door for many years asking for the story of my very boring life. You know, I very much chose to put that story out there. But I, in the apparently it's very normal that in the months after it's published, I think you do feel quite exposed suddenly. You, it does feel like you've laid quite a lot bare. Um, and I don't know if I'd be in a massive rush to do that again. Well, on that very conclusive note <laughs> how could we on that note um jolly it has been an absolute pleasure thank you so much thank um, you for coming and snooping you can come and snoop anytime you like you are officially booked <laughs> <laughs> i love this podcast <laughs> i've never said that before was <laughs> that was so funny you are officially booked <laughs> you've made the you've made the catchphrase <laughs> Huge thanks to our guest Dolly for cooperating with the authorities. I can now say that her bookshelves are a safe place for decent citizens to be. Dolly's book, Everything I Know About Love, is out now, published by Fig Tree. 
Thanks so much for listening and helping me in my efforts to keep our guests on the straight and narrow and out of Reading Jail. Sorry, Reading Jail. You can find a list of all the books mentioned on today's show at acast.com forward slash booked. Email us and ask us questions about the show at whybooked at gmail.com. That's the letter Y, then booked at gmail. Find me on Twitter. I'm at notrollergirl. And on Instagram, I'm at the daisy bee. That's B as in the insect. Join me next time for more petty page-based crimes and shelf actualization. If you liked it, please rate the podcast, review it, subscribe it, and spread the word. This helps others to find the podcast and keeps our bookshops and libraries safe. This episode was produced by Dale Shaw. I'm Daisy Buchanan. Don't have nightmares. Do read well. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.